Okay, well, I, it could sound a little crazy. Like, sometimes I'll remember, like, ships or ideas through, like, visualizing animals with ships, okay? And so, like, it, I know it's super weird, but um, for me, that's kind of how I remember things. Greetings, everybody. Welcome to your favorite banjo podcast. This is Keith Billick. Welcome to the Picky Fingers Banjo Podcast. Uh, Keep in mind today, as you listen to the show, if you enjoy what you're hearing, please consider supporting the podcast. Uh, Your support does go a long way into helping me keep this thing on the tracks. And uh, just a few dollars a month really, really helps. And you can do that by going to patreon.com slash banjo podcast. That's how you sign up to become one of the VIP listeners, the very important pickers. And today we have a very special VIP listener to recognize for their outstanding and generous contribution. And today that is Leon Lobos. Leon, thank you so much for your Patreon support. It really means a lot, and I could not do it without you and the rest of my lovely VIP listeners. So, once again, patreon.com slash banjo podcast is is the place to go to support the show. And I didn't even mean that to rhyme, but that's a nice little jingle. Uh, Other ways to help your boy Keith out here with uh, the, the internet algorithms, you know, feel free to share links to the show, tell all your friends, word of mouth is great, like, subscribe, all the things that all the rest of the podcasts always tell you to do, I'm asking you to do that too. And um, it really does mean a lot and it really does help. So thank you everyone for doing that. Another way is to buy the world famous official Picky Fingers merchandise. That's available at banjopodcast.com. Now, if you if you head over there right now, you, you might unfortunately notice that the cupboards are a little bare at the, the Picky Fingers merch store. But uh, have no fear, the, the new shirts are here, and those will be up upon the site in no time. There are new colors of shirts, uh, and now that winter is staring us down, uh, we, as much as we might not want to admit it, I have some uh, warmer options. There's some hoodies, and there's some uh, knit hats that are going to be on there, so keep an eye out for that. Those will be up as soon as I can get up off of my lazy rear end and make it happen. Another way to keep in touch is email the show at pickyfingersbanjopodcast at gmail.com or follow me on all the socials. I'm on the uh, Facebook, the Instagram, the Twitter. Track me down and keep in touch. Sells pots and pans on the streets and on the trams If he makes enough, he'll be on his way Feed his family for another day Feed his family for another day Today's featured guest is Tabitha Agnew Benedict. Tabitha hails from Northern Ireland, so while that might raise a few eyebrows about how well can she really play uh, the banjo and bluegrass, folks, she's been listening to bluegrass since she was basically born, so way longer than most of us, I think, and you'll be able to hear plenty of examples of that. She is adept at everything from the Ron Block, Sammy Sheeler type of modern bluegrass approach all the way through much more progressive, melodic, more fleet-fingered original compositions. She's best known for playing these days with Capo Joe 
and the Foreign Landers, and also toured extensively with the all-female bluegrass band Midnight Sky Racer. She's a wonderful musician and wonderful singer, and I had a great time chatting with her, which uh, brings me to a special thanks for this episode. This, uh, this interview occurred at the Stony Lake Brewing Company. So big special thanks to Jerry and Heidi over there at Stony Lake Brewing in Saline, Michigan, not only for hiring Tabitha to come play at, at your venue, but for uh, clearing out a little space for, for the interview. And I guess that also serves as a warning to you listeners. You will hear some uh, bar noises in the background, and I tried to do my audio magic to make it not too distracting, but uh, that is the reason for that. But I think that takes care of all the explanations. So without further ado, give a warm picky fingers welcome to Tabitha Agnew Benedict. In Northern Ireland, and um, I started playing banjo about the age of 12 and got into it through kind of a series of weird events, <laughs> I guess you could say. But my um, my mom and dad were really into bluegrass music over there, mm. and they just loved old time in particular, bluegrass, whatever they could get their ears around that was from over here and had, you know, uh, Appalachian heritage or whatever and um, they um, brought me and my brothers Ruben and Benjamin up going to the Oma Bluegrass Festival which at that stage was the only bluegrass festival in Northern Ireland oh, and wow. um, it was just so great so I was going there from the age of like one you know like in the stroller and going along and um, listening to all these people and that was my kind of um, I guess you could say introduction to bluegrass music and yeah. So I, I think anybody who knows the first thing about you, that's probably the first thing they wonder is how this like yeah, Irish so, girl really. got yeah. exposed. Do you have any explanation for why your parents were into it? Did they have some connection to American music or they just f- heard it and liked it? Pretty much like their, I think their first exposure to it was through the this festival. And they actually okay. went on one of their first dates here. Um, the right. first one of the first years that it started. And <laughs> I think my dad remembers specifically them sitting in this tent at this huge marquee, you know, and I forget who it was, the name's slipping my mind, but this lady was just playing Clawhammer and she was just like, she was just like beating at the rhythm with her feet and just sitting solo up there on this like stage that was getting pelted with like heel and rain, you know, pure Irish weather. So um, all these elements. And that was one of his biggest, uh, you know, introductions to, to old time music and bluegrass was just through experiences like that at this festival that one year. So um, that's, that was kind of the reason they got into it. And also, like my yeah, my folks just love um, a lot of music, a wide wide range of music, mm-hmm. and I think they just wanted to listen to stuff from all over the world. So bluegrass is for lovers is exactly. the is the <laughs> moral of the story. Pretty much, that's cool. Yeah. So, what is your first memory of um, I don't know being being affected? You said that you've been going to this festival yeah. since you were one, yeah, so I imagine much. most of that is before you even have a memory of. Yeah. But do you have early memories of? being drawn to the music in a way that you might have actually like wanted to participate in it. Yeah. Yeah. I actually, I have a couple of really standout memories. And the first one was really back when I was probably like three or four, I remember my parents playing 
Alison Krauss's album Every Time You Say Goodbye, uh-huh. you know, Union Station. And I just remember hearing the mandolin kick and then like the banjo coming in. We would listen to albums on rotation in the car. You know, we had like the Walkman plug-in. Oh, sure. And um, <laughs> so we would just, we just never turn it off. It was just always on. And so um, every time you say goodbye was a very prominent song in my childhood that mm-hmm. I just remembered being like, I love banjo. It just made me feel like very, very home, homely about it all. And um, the second memory was seeing Michael Cleveland play with his band Flamekeeper at this bluegrass festival and I was probably about six years old and I remember just like watching these folks on stage and at that time you know I didn't know like any of the people I didn't know any names and was just blown away by the sound that they were producing and the level of speed and uh noise just the volume so that was those were two really important memories for me especially getting into bluegrass music yeah michael cleveland has a way of commanding attention yes like no matter what exactly and i think at that stage he had he had brought a band over you know he he came over to that festival many times but he brought his band and a lot of the players um were really young you know Hmm. like a lot of these um young banjo players were coming through that stage and it was just like incredible to see people like not much older than I was even back then. I'm being like, these guys are, they're doing this, you know? And it's like, this is what, this is what their job is, you know? And I think just like being familiar with like, oh, people do this and you can make a living Mm -hmm. from it. And it's so fun, you know? So I think those were maybe elements into my um, exposure into bluegrass music in a really positive light. Do you have a way of explaining what it might've been about the banjo in particular that caught your ear and and made you want to pursue that? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, probably, honestly, like my, as I said, my dad was a big influence and, um, he, he was really into playing banjo and would, um, would have learned, you know, different things from different tab books. But in particular, I remember just hearing him play in the mornings. It was like the late mornings, you know, being homeschooled, brought up homeschooled. Uh-huh. I got to, you know, be at home and be exposed to like a lot of, um, like little routines like that, you know, where you have your coffee and you have your, your little practice time. So I remember hearing dad most mornings like playing um, Little Birdie, even on the banjo. And oh. that's very nostalgic memory for me. And the, the another big part of that was he would order the banjo newsletter magazines oh, over yeah. to Northern Ireland. And he was, I think, one of the few people back then doing that. Yeah, and I, I remember so. It would come like a month late, which is right. hilarious. <laughs> because by the time I got there in Ermiel, you know, it was already like a month old. But um the, all those things were like a big push for me to just say, hey, I want to I want to try this. Um, another yeah. big way into the banjo specifically was me and my brother Ruben are very competitive. And we both decided to pick up the banjo one day. And I remember we just went and locked ourselves in you know our bedrooms. And we're like, OK, I'm going to learn this first. And he was like, no, I'm going to learn this first. Okay. And so, you know, it was, that was kind of a big um competitive streak had to push each other exactly so yeah 
And were you just playing dad's banjo at that point? I was, you know, I was playing, let's see, what did he have? That's a great question. I think he had a washburn, an early, early washburn, um, you know, no tone ring. Yeah. So then I, then I remember getting, I got a Delta Blue banjo and that was my first banjo. And um, yeah, so after I kind of showed interest, my parents, you know, we're like, hey, let, let's get you your own banjo for Christmas, you yeah. know, and things like that. So, um, yeah. So how does one go about learning? I imagine there aren't as many instructors and opportunities over there as there might be here. Yeah, you know, um, that's that's definitely true. I think for me, I, the banjo newsletter was a big part of that, honestly. Mm. Just going through some of those tabs and not even like not even having to like read the tabs, but also just becoming familiar with people's faces and people like right. you know players who were a big deal. But honestly, I'm I'm probably one of those people that would just put my hands up and say I just used YouTube to its maximum you know capacity. Yeah. So I would sit on there pretty much for hours, uh, you know, at, <laughs> at the time and just try and copy people. Um, and I think it's maybe even before a lot of the banjo lessons became popular online. Um, mm-hmm. So I was just trying to like find my way through uh, catalogs of, of people and being like, oh, I, I recognize this guy. I'll like learn some stuff from see him. See what they do. Yeah, yeah, see what they do. So um, probably YouTube. But yeah, there was really, there was really no teachers near where I grew up. Uh-huh. Um, and there's not many players. Um, you know, now I think there's more coming up in Ireland. Absolutely. There's a lot of players. Um, when but, you go to that festival, was there the same sort of picking type scene as you, as you see in yeah. a lot of uh, festival areas? Here. You know, I gotta be honest, like, um, being in a, being a youngster there, I, um, they had like a pickers program mm-hmm. and that was great and, um, put on by, you know, the festival and they would get young people from all over to come and bring their instruments and play for two days. And you, then you play on the main stage, but there really wasn't a sense of like identifying with instruments. So I remember I brought a mandolin one year and mm-hmm. I played the mandolin, you know, and I brought like something else another year. So I think uh, I remember going to a banjo workshop and um, it was the Gibson brothers leading it, which was awesome, you know, and that was my first time like sitting down and watching someone play the banjo in front of me. I remember that was extremely cool to see. Um, And what age would you have been at that point? I probably would have been about 11 at that time. Um, So, but there wasn't really like a a big jamming scene because again, there wasn't like a big amount of players and usually what would happen if there were players, they would go to the campsite, but we were always, you know, visiting and it was kind of in and yeah. out. And, um, but the first year that we, that we actually got to play at the festival, me and my brothers, um, in our band, we played the open mic and it was just, I remember it was just like this, the best time ever. Oh, that's cool. Got to go backstage and meet, meet Michael, you know, meet uh-huh. Michael Cleveland and got to play with him and jam. And it was just like, it was, it was a very, very sweet time. So that was wow. my first that was actually my first time being thrown into a jam, uh-huh. and it was kind of the most frightening experience of my life. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <You know? laughs> so now that you had that experience of being thrown into uh-huh. a jam, and that yeah. kind of opens up new yeah. worlds for you, how yeah. did how did you go about attacking? You know, the the process of getting those skills yeah. together. Yeah, that's. I mean, that's something that I feel like I'm still working on. But it's, yeah, um, me too. <laughs> you know, it's it's one of those things. Like I was talking to someone recently about improvisation and how you how you approach that, being someone who maybe doesn't play with other people that often. Mm. And um, I think really for me, it was just going again, going to YouTube and being like, I'm gonna just stick this on, and then I'm gonna turn it off, 
I'm going to just try and come up with something in a similar vein. And a lot of it was just copying, you know, I was just a copycat, you know, I was yeah. like, can I, can I try this? Um, I'll, I'll try to mimic what these people are doing. But another big thing was CDs. I remember getting um, a few banjo CDs. Like I think Huber released a banjo CD called Cup of Joe, which is, which is funny. Right, um, yeah. And it was, it was great. And I remember getting that and like, just like playing along with a lot of the tracks and that kind of opened up my my mind more to improvisation, like what that looked like within bluegrass. And I think um, that's, you know, that takes a while to kind of get into and to kind of wrap your head around if you're distant from it and you're not jamming with people. Um, so again, I think it was just really like seeing people do it online and seeing what that looked like in a jam, you know, all these jam videos that you see online. Sure. And that was a huge, that was a huge part of like, oh, this is what to expect, first of all. Yeah. And then hearing it in a recorded, you know, idea of like this this person was improvising maybe like on the spot and taking those, some of those ideas. And then again, like I will say, like playing with my brothers, that's been one of the the best things because we had each other and mm. there weren't many other players. And so we just had to play with each other, you know, <laughs> like we didn't have any choice. <laughs> so we were just stuck with each other and we'd spend a lot of time trying out a lot of stuff and I think that was good because they had patience with me and I had well somewhat patience with yeah. them you know and um that so, I t- was so I take it that means that you won the little banjo competition between you and Ruben well it's funny because I think my dad was like judging it and I'm definitely a daddy's girl so <laughs> right. you know it was like <laughs> it was like oh Tabitha the wins today maybe Ruben can win tomorrow you yeah. know <laughs> yeah. yeah but but in the family group he, he was playing something else he was like yeah you know he he picked up the mandolin pretty much first of all and that was his um I banjo mandolin actually which was fun okay um and he uh he got into that but then you know went on to guitar and that was what he kind of stuck with and wanted to to, to keep going with so um we all kind of find our our place and um yeah I, I stuck with the banjo so okay you've already said a whole bunch of things that i want to follow up on yeah. but i guess the first thing would be a as you were going through all these YouTubes and yeah. CDs and trying to emulate what you were hearing, were there certain players that you kept coming back to that you feel like you were mostly yeah. you know, or most inspired by yeah. at that point? That's, yeah, there's, you know, there's so many and I feel like it's, it's such a good question. But um, for me, probably early on, I got into the Kruger Brothers. was you know such a huge fan and I, I'm such a huge fan of the Cooker Brothers um, and everything Jens does um, so he was a huge influence early on in that time um, and then another player that I just absolutely loved is Sammy Sheeler and I still you oh, know wow. I love his playing so much meeting him at the 
festival years ago in Northern Ireland and not only did I kind of realize like how amazing he was live but also just like how genuine he was as a person and I remember like he just like jammed with me and it was just like it was it was definitely like a sweet um sweet memory to be like this style of music and these people and these players are so approachable mm -hmm. and so personable that that kind of like drew me into wanting to know players more individually um so those two players i mean ron block you know uh -huh. it's a huge influence alison brown a lot of folks like like that um i mean bella obviously and yeah so many so many folks yeah <laughs> was there a time that th those are all wonderful influences of yeah. course but was there a time that you felt like you maybe had your own style start to emerge or were there things that you started working on that maybe didn't come from mm -hmm. YouTube yeah. that was more yeah. from within, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. That's a, that's a good question. I think like, I remember we went, um, my brothers and I, we went to, uh, um, let's see, it was like a folk music weekend in England. And we started um, working with a couple who were doing a lot of like Bulgarian music and they went and, you know, played a lot in Bulgaria and we're playing a lot of the folk music there and they were from England and I remember them coming back um, and teaching at this camp this weekend camp mm. and I remember like after that I wrote a tune in particular um, I can't remember what the tune was now but I remember just like feeling like oh this is what I want to do and this is like the kind of playing that I want to create like something that's different like I kind of feel like I find you know, kind of a new lease of life almost um, from that. And I would say that experience, honestly, like has influenced me a lot in just thinking like, I want to do something like totally different. Um, so yeah. do you think it inspired you um, just because of, I don't know, you were inspired by the specific sound of Bulgarian yeah. music yeah. or just like something in the approach that they took right. was something that you wanted to probably, follow? Probably the approach, honestly, like um, I remember us doing it and we were like, tapping out the rhythms right and like yeah. kind of working with like um time signatures and just like this whole idea of just like closing your eyes and like not thinking about it and feeling it you know like right. that's such a mind shift for us i feel like um and so i remember doing that and was like i feel like i can hear things differently you know like i just thought about things a little differently after that and that was kind of a wide you know um example of just me wanting to um try something different honestly yeah. and i think it kind of got me out of this like oh, I just want to play what these people are playing, started to feel like, oh, let's try and like write things, you know, and through that, then we can find our own style and our own voice. I would love to hear you play a little bit. Is yeah. that a good like segue into like maybe what yeah. kind of things you were writing or yeah. are writing right now? Absolutely. So I, um, I'll try and play a little bit of this new tune that um, I was working on recently. And it's a tune that... Um, is written for again this is kind of my my uh, i guess you could say inspiration i like to write about things visually huh. and um i wrote this tune for our pet goat back in northern ireland <laughs> right. and what's super, this goat's name azazel right so super crazy just kind of a little out there um but i'll, I'll try to do a little bit for you here <laughs> this right. is azazel's escape
something like that anyway. Um, yeah. But just this kind of like, um, just kind of more imaginative stuff that I was trying to work up and um, kind of fit, you know, fit within like a bluegrass framework, obviously, but um, a little bit unconventional. I like to think of it. Yeah. That was quite an yeah. adventurous escape yeah. that that your it's, goat must have had yeah, there. It, it, yeah, it, I definitely took a lot from um, the image of him just kind of frolicking through the field and escaping and eating everything inside. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, yeah, anyway. But he made it back. He made it back, okay, and he good. stays around, you know, escapes frequently, but come, comes back again. Okay, yeah. good, good. <laughs> yeah. Sorry for the interruption, folks. We'll be right back with the rest of the episode in just a few moments, but I had to take this opportunity to tell you about some of the sponsors of Picky Fingers Banjo Podcast. The first one up is Elderly Instruments. I always tell people how Elderly is the world's most trusted source for new, used, and vintage stringed instruments of all kind. They're the first place I go for all my banjo needs. And also, by the way, any guitar, violin, ukulele, mandolin needs you have, it, they're going to have all of that. But you don't need to take my word for it anymore, folks. Elderly Instruments was just named the best small business in the country by the United States Chamber of Commerce. So first of all, congratulations to Stan Werben, Lillian Werben, and all the rest of the Elderly family for that remarkable award. And second of all, I encourage you all to go see what the fuss is about. Either get into the showroom in Lansing, Michigan, or visit them online at elderly.com. They have the entire inventory up there. They ship worldwide, and they have that great customer service that wins folks' awards. Uh, and they're just a phone call away if you ever need any advice on any of those products. So once again, elderly.com or call them at 517-372-7880. The Picky Fingers Banjo Podcast is also sponsored by our good friends over at Peghead Nation. Peghead Nation is the nation's number one site for streaming video courses in banjo, guitar, mandolin, fiddle, dobro, upright bass, and ukulele, where you can learn bluegrass, old time, and many other styles from some of the most talented players and instructors in all of Roots Music. Here is some of the selections, and this is just the banjo stuff. You can take Beginning Banjo with Bill Evans, Bluegrass Banjo with Bill Evans, Clawhammer Banjo with Evie Layden, Wade Ward Style Banjo with Bruce Molsky, The Banjo According to Danny Barnes, or Contemporary Bluegrass Banjo with Wes Corbett. Now, no matter what course you select, it's going to come with high-quality multi-angle video lessons, downloadable notation and tablature, play-along tracks, and plenty of tunes and songs to play. And perhaps best of all, Picky Fingers listeners get a month free by entering coupon code PICKYFINGERS, all one word, all lowercase, at checkout. So once more, go to pegheadnation.com and enter PICKYFINGERS at checkout to get your first month free. The Picky Fingers podcast is also brought to you by Sullivan Banjos. Now, I'm very familiar with Sullivan Banjos. I've been playing one for nearly 20 years. I get tons of compliments on that banjo's sound, and that's really no surprise because the Sullivan name has been synonymous with incredible banjo workmanship and tone for decades. So whether you are looking for a pre-war style traditional design on through the craziest custom design you can think of, Eric Sullivan is here for you to make your dreams a reality. 
So get in touch with him over at SullivanBanjo.com. Email him at SullivanBanjo at gmail.com. Or sometimes the best way is just the old-fashioned way. Give him a call at 502-365-5022. And don't forget to tell him that Keith at the Picky Fingers Podcast sent you. So you, you say you took that from a visual inspiration. Is that a yeah. pretty typical way that you compose or maybe even... Maybe even if, even if you're not composing, maybe you're coming up with a banjo part for someone yeah. else's song. Is is imagery a strong um, thing yeah. for you? It is, yeah. I definitely think that I, I play off that probably more than than most most other um, inspirations. But um, I, I like to think of it like, I like to map out where I am on the fretboard a lot visually. And I do that kind of through unconventional methods i try i try to like talk to my husband david about this sometimes and we we think about things differently but we're oh, starting to you know yeah, you you need to keep talking about this because okay. this sounds very okay. interesting well, you say I, you're it mapping. could sound a little crazy like i so i love animals right and that you probably found that out through that last tune but um i like to think of it sometimes and this is going to sound really wacky i don't know but um sometimes i'll remember like ships or ideas through like visualizing animals with ships okay and so like it, i know it's super weird but um for me that's kind of how i remember things and he's talked a lot about like my husband has talked a lot about you know the idea of like remembering things with colors and like a lot of people see see chords as colors or like see notes as colors and that's mm-hmm. how they work i kind of like don't do that but i do like a different thing so that's yeah. um some of my points of like remembering when I'm writing something especially writing something I feel like that for me is um a huge like mental mental thing so give me an example of something that has a shape of an animal that because I this is a, right. this is a new concept okay. for me well again this is another another tune that I wrote um that kind of uh draws from inspiration from animals right so uh this the first tune is Johnny's peacock and the second tune is the red tail hawk but for Johnny's Peacock, I think I was just trying to like visualize, like, I mean, obviously it's not as, not as crazy as it sounds like, oh, I'm thinking about it beforehand. I'll just maybe like make something up and I'll be like, oh, I remember that because that's what that movie looks like. Oh, hey, that's a turtle. Here, I'm playing like a B flat. You know, it's like huh. weird stuff like that. So anyway, I don't want to like, I don't want to say that that's normal for anyone because <laughs> I know it's definitely not, but um. Well, that's why it's so interesting to hear about because it's it's yeah, not normal. It's, but it's definitely not normal. But um, I yeah, that's that's kind of how my mind works sometimes. And um, now, is there actual like is there a, a in a finger pattern? Is it making like a constellation? Kind of. Is it that's that? probably how I think about it. Yeah, and um, I'll I'll play a little bit and uh, yeah, yeah, see yeah. that. just kind of this this idea right here was where that tune started and it was kind of a call and response thing that I started thinking about and then I was like hey that kind of sounds like 
a bird or something, right? Uh-huh. And then that kind of those ideas kind of started. So anyway, that's that's where I was with that composition. Um, Very interesting. Yeah, those are probably the two that I have thought about that concept and, and built on it. So it seems like the the visual component not only maybe inspires you to write it, but helps you remember it exactly. afterward yeah. because yeah. you still associate yeah. it. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Th- those are some weird like brain waves getting crossed up. Yeah, a little and, bit. Yeah. But they actually help you. <laughs> yeah, cool. definitely help me. And you know, we were talking about like memorizing things and and definitely like visualizing a lot of people playing was a big thing growing up because I just didn't have the resources like tabs a lot of the time and mm-hmm. and have a lot of the books even. And so I would just try to like remember people's hands and like remember shapes and like how people play different things in their left hand opposed to other people. And so creating those things, like those visual things, in the, is a way to like remember that. You know, and I think we all do that with like even people's right hands, like Jetty Crow's right hand and like, yeah. you know, you know, opposed to like Bella's right, you know, right hand. Yeah, so it's completely different. It, yeah, right. totally different. And, um, you know, anyway, it's just, yeah, a visual thing and memorization and all those things come together. Are there any other... So that that's definitely a pretty unique way to, way to approach it. <laughs> yeah. Are there other like uh, banjo playing wise, um, just skills that helped you forge your your own style, or or mm-hmm. like skills that you rely on or work on a lot that you think are yeah. maybe maybe not unique to you, but just important to your style? Yeah. Like I mean, I've obviously drawn like a lot from you know so many heroes. I love. Um, I love Wes Corbett and, you know, I love his playing course, and he's just yeah. incredible. Um, and a lot of that um, kind of rhythmic stuff that he does, you know, I feel like this, that has really informed like a lot of stuff that I've done vocally and instrumentally. Um, and I've really started to try and get into singing and playing a lot at the same time these days. And that's been yeah. really fun. And so a lot of that kind of rhythmic stuff has really like, honestly, like, been a big big help in getting past that because it's kind of a it's kind of a frightening thing honestly trying to sing and play at the same time and that's so, something that i had meant to, to yeah. ask you about is how do you approach that because yes yeah. it's uh it it's, is pretty difficult it's, it's yeah you know i'm really i'm um, working on this more and so i feel like i, I don't have like all the answers to this but um, um really just trying to to write stuff probably would be the biggest thing and getting comfortable with what you can hear and like what your compositions are and then coming up with like things to fit around that has been the biggest influence um and i did that with like one one song that i could kind of play here um and it was actually a song that david and i recorded on an album last year and we just decided we wanted to play a duo we wanted to do some octave mandolin and have some banjo on there and I wanted to make it sound like it was really full. Like we didn't need to add any bass, you know, kind of mm-hmm. sneakling in the back for any reason. So we thought like, hey, let's try and like fill this out. So again. And I'll just sing a little bit to kind of show what I was doing. Will it fall? Will it tumble? Will it stumble? Hey, first insane. Should I venture on to forward? I don't know. I don't know. So just kind of like 
I don't know, like coming up with something and trying to fit this idea around that. So again, yeah. like that was just trying to fill out that space. And I was having like these lyrics come into my mind as I was writing it. I thought I just want something really sparse to fit in between those phrases. Will it fall? You know, just something like call and response again, I think was a big inspiration for that. Um, and a lot of space between the lot, lines too. Yeah, the, exactly. The yeah. And that was, instrumental what, thing. What time signature is that? You know, it's kind of a three, honestly. I'm, I'm playing more of like, I kind of think about a lot of things in three. And just like, the accents just make a it sound bit, yeah. kind of funny. Yeah, I kind of okay. do like a couple of stops and starts, but um, really inspired by that, you know, kind of more jig-like jig, yeah. jig -like <laughs> sound. And I think unconsciously um, I do that. So the instrumental for that as well, you know, thinking about the vocal part just kind of commands what you do on the banjo, right? When you're singing and playing at the same time. But then when you go into the, the instrumental part, I knew like, oh, I want to have something that's separate. Like I don't have, I don't want to have to sing and play too much at the same time. So I just thought about like, Doo -doo -doo. Doo -doo. Just kind of like leaving a lot of space for stuff. Um, yeah. Yeah, that was that was honestly like the inspiration for that was just I want space and I want like to have this um, this space like not be filled too much, but also like have it sounds really full, you know. Yeah, space isn't something that us bluegrass banjoists are used to uh, yeah. <laughs> being okay with. Right. It, it kind of feels wrong yeah. at, on some level. So yeah. yeah it, <laughs> And I, yeah, I think Jens Kruger, you know, is a great example of, of that, course, where he talks yeah. about like the space is everything, you uh -huh. know, and that was a big, um, that was, that was a big thought behind, you know, a lot of, of, of this music that I was trying to write even up until, you know, the past couple of years is just like, I just want to have this kind of like warm, fuzzy feeling that you get, you know, when you listen to Jens, it's like, wow, there's all this space and it's like so beautiful. Yeah. And he, he really respects, he really respects it, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Um, you, so you've already, even in just the, the demonstrations that you've done so far, you've, you've shown us something else that I really noticed about your playing. You have a very fluid way of using the whole fingerboard and extracting melodies, mm -hmm. e even up high. Talk about how you approach connecting i don't know some people have a, a lot of mm -hmm. difficulty once it yeah. gets up high connecting it to the lower notes and just yeah. being as comfortable is there, is there a way you are able to figure that out and have the yeah. fluidity to your own playing yeah i think you know um i'm still still working on that so much you know like um but i think a great thing um to get past that you know mental barrier where people think like oh anything past like the eighth fret like i can't you know can't get up there um uh -huh. It's just trying to like play fiddle tunes like up the neck a lot more. Yeah. And you know, I'm still working that a lot, but it's that's been a really one of the most helpful things. Um, and then again, like um, thinking about things in terms of like singing melodies and trying to just like sing and play and just trying to like almost get past the fact that you're up the neck i know it's it's a mental thing i know it's you know it's one of those it's one of those difficulties that um i definitely face still but yeah. um fiddle change was was a big part um yeah in that. so like what would be one that maybe 
helped you break out of, uh, uh, I don't know, the like yeah. the normal way someone might play That's it. That's a good question. And I wonder if I can even try it. I probably will forget the melody. <laughs> but um, I remember hearing, let me see, I think it was um, Seneca Square Dance. And okay. I think it was maybe like a recording that Ron did um, with Sierra. But I remember like just learning like the basic melody down the neck. <laughs> So something like that, that was the melody, and then it was like... And just even like mimicking what you're playing, you know, up and down the neck. Well, that yeah. was, for me, that was like the way into it, and was like, oh, actually, that's not that frightening, because I'm just using a lot of like the same shapes I'm using down the neck. So okay. um, that was a big push like Seneca Square Dance honestly that that fiddle tune was really easy okay. to think about yeah is that a pretty typical approach that you have when you're learning a tune or maybe learning a, a break to a vocal song mm -hmm. to to learn it um in all ranges of yeah, the favor you know like I will I'll try to sometimes I'll just actually start with like learning it up the neck and so when I hear, and I think this is like especially the case for like a lot of Irish traditional tunes, when you hear them being played, they're usually being played by like an Irish whistle, you know, and sure. so they're in a higher range anyway. Yeah. So when I hear them and I'm learning them, I'll start and play them like, for example, um, like there's a tune called Silver Spire. <laughs> be like i'll be kind of you know mimicking the same line as the whistle uh -huh. and just thinking about it like starting there and then working back you know and going you know so that was um that's a great place to maybe be like actually i don't have to start you know down the neck i can mm. start up the neck and right. learn learn it like this so. that can be your ba home base for Ex that yeah for that exactly. one or something yeah yeah, interesting. You also seem, you know, as part of I was I think the word I used was like fluidity that you that you had going up and down. It seems like you also have a good grasp of like single strings and melodic and you're you're kind mm. of incorporating all of that at the same time, which yeah. I think helps the fluidity, but was there certain ways that you were able to get comfortable with with all of those? Honestly, like, I still feel like I'm really, I'm, I'm just like hitting my head against a wall with all of that still. Um, but, um, on like, again, looking at players and just like seeing their approach about it, um, on a big, you know, thinking about someone who uses single string and melodic, um, I have to say, like, a big influence, you know, has been Leon Hunt, a great banjo player mm. from the UK.
does that so fluidly and big inspiration for Irish traditional tunes. And um, when I like think about Irish traditional tunes, I do think about, you know, single string, obviously, but I love yeah. to try and play them in melodic style because I feel like it's not really a done thing. And it is, it's a little bit more unconventional, right? But it's um, its very rewarding. <laughs> I mean, you just did that. Yeah. Was, it, was that Silver Spear, you Sil- said? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Um, so, yeah, so like t- just looking at things like that, but um, maybe thinking about it like I'll just play a melodic part for the A part and maybe play like a single string thing in the B part. But um, he's a great example of someone who is so fluid in that um, yeah. in genre and like j- just being able to go up and down the neck like without even thinking about it you know i need to get him on the show he's been yeah. recommended a million times oh, he's, and he's um, the best he's incredible yeah, yeah that's cool yeah uh talk about your approach to dynamics mm-hmm. banjo uh i think a common complaint about banjo music is that it is just this incessant loud stream yeah. of 16th <laughs> notes that never stop and never goes anywhere other yeah. than that um yeah. and and you are not playing that way you have a very dynamic style mm-hmm. in terms of accents and mm-hmm. everything what's what would you say is your approach to that or yeah. how'd you get that sensibility oh man i've got to be honest like so when i was growing up you know saying i was playing a lot with like bluegrass recordings and like albums and i was really pushing myself physically very hard to do that uh-huh. you know being someone who has a tiny tiny hand um uh-huh. <laughs> i find that it was actually through some of those limitations that hmm. I started to think more about like what I want to do for myself to feel good. Interesting. <laughs> um, and so like I'm I'm still, you know, in that process, but when I push myself like really hard and play, you know, driving kind of, you know, B bluegrass, um, you know, it's the like Sammy Sheeler, exactly, Ron Block it's stuff. Like, yeah. I'm like, wow, I can't do this for very long because it, it's really it, it d- doesn't sit well with me sometimes, you yeah. know, and so through a lot of um, a lot of pain and a lot of problems with my right hand, wow, I've had to like think about just like laying back and thinking about things differently. So I'm still working through like a lot of kind of like problems with that and trying to get past some of that. And um, yeah, so honestly, like three limitations, and I think like John Hartford has a quote about that. You know, sometimes your limitations can make you settle in a place where it's actually going to help you progress and maybe get better yeah it can define your style exactly yeah yeah. um so interesting yeah that was for me um you know i love i love playing driving bluegrass that's (laughs) like one of my favorite things to do but um through trying to do that i think i uh realized that i just can't do that might have overdone it might have overdone it you know um so yeah that's that's honestly probably what i would say um but i think as far as like dynamics go um you know just the idea of like playing in a band setting where you're playing with people who um, are singing is a huge thing. Just um, being aware that, you know, you want to back them up and you want to be a bandmate to them instead of, you know, playing loud and proud over, over <laughs> them. Um, and, being, and that's obviously going to differ for every band, you know. Um, and I think as well, I'm such a, I would say like I'm a light player and I, I'm a light singer as well. And that mm-hmm. combination... It's challenging because um, I'll be competing with banjo and voice for volume, and I really do. I, I'm I'm not super loud, so I will um, I will say that like those two things aren't the greatest combination sometimes, you know. Yeah. Um. So I'm working on that. I'm trying to trying to get better at that. But um, 
just being aware that um, you want to back yourself up and you want to back other people yeah. up and you want to be aware of just trying to to build a nice community in, in the band. Yeah, I imagine that goes into deciding who to play with in your bands yeah, as well. Yeah, People who exactly. are, can accommodate yeah. someone who isn't just yeah, yeah. slamming the whole yeah, time. Yeah, yeah. And I, you know, I've played in like um, bluegrass settings. Like I've played for years with a really awesome band, Midnight Scarrister from mm. the UK. And, you know, I just, as I said, I just love playing fast bluegrass and like playing driving stuff. was great for me because I didn't have to sing lead you know so we had for a lot of the stuff we had um Leanne was you know singing mostly the lead on on our kind of driving stuff so um that was great because I just got to sit back and be like yeah I can just (laughs) Just play the banjo player (laughs) it was incredible um and then like coming out of that and trying to do more stuff just with like even duo stuff um or with you know a quartet it's really different and I'm trying to think about like, oh, how am I going to sing and play this at the same time? How am I going to think about this? Um, and that's been really challenging, but like really good, rewarding too. Yeah. I have some Facebook questions. Okay. Whenever I'm going to do an interview, <laughs> I tell all the Facebookies. Oh, that's so cool. And see what they come up with. Do you have a favorite type of song to play, whether it's major, minor, modal, or upbeat, or slow tempo? Mm-hmm. Do, do you have... Do you have a favorite? Oh, that's a really good question. Um, I do love modal. Yeah, I definitely do. I love um, I love old ballads. So anything that's like, again, like leaves a lot of room for just sadness is, is you know, like, I don't know, something really haunting about just, you know, specifically banjo and vocals for that stuff. Um, but yeah, I love I love modal. That's a good question. Yeah. You don't strike me as like yeah. a real melancholy I, kind of person. I'm not but... really, but you know, um, I think like, I think a key and a big influence was that was my dad just like loves minor music and modal stuff. And that was, you know, a big influence like growing up, yeah. listening to like a lot of that. So, okay. Yeah. It's got a, <laughs> got a special place yeah. in there. Exactly. Okay. This person wants to know like, where do you find inspiration and specifically when you're feeling like you're in a rut? How do you try to pull yourself out of it? That's a really good question. Um, and that happens a lot, I will yeah, say. To me too. Yeah, it happens a lot. So I'm curious as to um, another answer. Probably, again, just like figuring out what you love to do and really like focusing in on that. For me recently, it's been like writing tunes and mm. like coming up with stuff. And again, I think that's through um, getting away and like just giving yourself some time and clearing your mind and just trying to write that's for me that's probably um probably probably the thing um honestly and you know as well you know playing with somebody along with some of your favorite players just like playing with albums is a great great way to just kind of get out of yourself and don't let yourself like overanalyze it you know just just do it and just see what happens um and don't stop the album just keep it going (laughs) (laughs) you know just try to keep up um yeah yeah 
Do you have a, a structured practice routine that you've found is most effective for you? That's a really good question. Um, I have to be really honest that my practice routine recently has not been has not been great. Um, and you know, I think that's probably just because traveling is taking like the the, the kind of priority this year, um, being across the ocean back and forth a lot. So that is. Um, it's hard to find sometimes when you're just like, yeah. you know, like, hey, let's, I mean, not today. Um, but I, I will try and like set some time aside, like in the morning. I feel like that works really well for me. And what I'll do is maybe like, I'll maybe just focus on like an R where I can just like sit and just play and maybe like three different things and give them all, you know, a bit of time each and really dedicate some time to them. And then again, like maybe like late at night, I love to like, uh, you know, I, I like tease myself because I love to like just sit and like watch like cheesy movies sometimes yeah. just like while playing banjo. And like that's when that's when I find like my mind can just wander and like I can just play makeup stuff, you know, that, that uh -huh. kind of just comes about through me not thinking about it too much. Um, and, and so, yeah, honestly, like probably early morning and late at night. Those are my two two favorite times to really just sit down and be like. I'm going to just work on maybe a couple of things and really just like hone in on those. And, you know, I know a lot of people do like the timer thing where they sit like 15 minutes mm -hmm. and they sit and they practice that one thing and then they move on. Um, that doesn't always work for me. Right. I just feel like by the time that it's like five minutes in, I'm like, oh, I need more time, you know? And so I just want to say like, I'll just give myself an R and whatever happens in that R, um, you know, I want to work on it maybe later on, something like that. So I think the most important follow-up question for this is, what's the best cheesy movie to inspire banjo playing? Oh, man. You know, usually anything that, like, talks about, like, a country musician or, like, an Irish musician, like, falling in love somewhere or something like that, you know, definitely we're talking, like, real cheese. We're talking, like, four, four reviews on, like, Amazon Prime movies, <laughs> okay. you know? Um, anything that, like, I'm not really watching it. It's just white noise. Yeah. That's kind of the um, the theme of that. So but it can't be too interesting. It can't be. Oh, you know, it can't yeah. be interesting at all, or else <laughs> like, or else there's just no productivity at all in your practice. Um, but yeah, like definitely just like sticking something on. And I think like too for me it helps because I don't want to think about it too much. Like sure. I feel like I. I work, I, or I try to write when I'm not thinking about things too hard because okay. otherwise you just kind of, you, come, you get frustrated really easily. Mm. And um, so that's kind of what I, what my evenings sometimes look like to me just sitting down and playing. You just have to distract your brain just enough just to enough. like not be self-conscious or something self -conscious, like that. Self-conscious. I think like self-critical mm -hmm. um, is probably the, the thing. And I think it's, I don't want to say this in terms of like practicing, you know, a specific thing, but I'm talking more about like writing a tune or writing a song or like thinking about it like that and just um, trying to uh, get away from all those, you know, thoughts of like, hey, that's that's horrible. You yeah. Know? <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. Let's see here. Any other general observations in terms of being a banjo player in Ireland versus the States? Yeah. Um that's a really good question, actually. Um, let's see if I can come up with an answer for that question. <laughs> you know, um, I think, I think again, just like the whole jamming scene is definitely like smaller. Um, but a lot of five-string banjo players, you know, I've got some friends, especially in Ireland, who um, play a lot of like single string because they're influenced so heavily by, you know, four-string tenor yeah, banjo. Tenor and banjos, so yeah. those two things go hand in hand. Sure. Um, Whereas that definitely differs, you know, like wherever you go, I think. So 
things like that. That's maybe some differences that I would see, like people play a single string different ways or, you know, different approaches on how to do that um, mm -hmm. and how to play tunes. Um, that would be one of my observations. Um, but I feel like I, I don't know just as much yet. You know, I'm figuring it out as I'm, as I'm here. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So get yeah. back to us on that, I guess. Yeah, exactly. Uh, let's talk about your instrument yeah. and your gear. What What is this uh, banjo yeah. that you're playing? So this is a Bulas banjo. And these these are made in Poland. And this is a Scarboose model. And I was so thrilled um, because the folks at Bulas, um, Peter and Michael, uh -huh. uh, who make them in, in Poland, they um, reached out to me a few years back. I met them at the La Roche Bluegrass Festival over in France. Okay. And just happened this just, past weekend, yeah, is think, that right? Yeah, that's right. I think it's going on right now. And um, so I met them there and just had such a fun time like playing at their booth. It was uh -huh. just so great. And, you know, uh, I think Peter said to me there, he was like, do you want a banjo? Like, do you want to make, do you, want to make you one? And I was like, <laughs> sure, you yeah. know? I was like, that would be awesome. Um, and so, you know, I didn't hear anything for a little bit. And then like a few months later, I get this text from, from Peter and he's like, uh, okay this is the specs for your banjo we want to do and i was like whoa okay um so yeah it's it's really it's it's awesome it's a mahogany um ebony fingerboard and just like it's, it's everything that i kind of want it has a smaller scale neck um okay. radius just really such a sweet sweet sound um has a little fingerboard extension which has you know i don't use it as much as i should but it has been super, super nice to write some tunes with. Um, yeah. And I've definitely used it a lot um, in trying to come up with some new stuff. So that's been so fun. Um, you know, their own tone ring. Uh, just really, really pretty binding. Just a really, really nice banjo. Yeah, it's beautiful. Um, yeah. yeah I, the, finger, the fingerboard inlay is unique, yeah, but like is. really cool yeah, and creative. Yeah, it's got like the Scarabuse beetle um, throughout it. And, is that know, what a Scarabuse is? Yes. It's a beetle? Uh -huh, it okay. is. And um, so they just create, you know, beautiful, beautiful banjos, beautiful instruments. They have guitars, mandolins that they make as well. And um, it's kind of incredible, their story, because... Um, you know, Peter told us when we went over to get the banjo, David and I, he said he got into bluegrass through um, the Foggy Mountain banjo cover. It wasn't actually even the album. <laughs> so he, you know, he saw this banjo on the cover and he saw Earl holding it. Uh -huh. You know, at that time, um, it was hard to come by some of those albums, you know, in Poland. Yeah. And so he got this and he was like, hey, I want to make one of these banjos. I want to hear what it sounds like. And so he just used the idea of the dimensions of Earl's hands in relation to the banjo to create a banjo. That's insane. And it's an insanity. <laughs> and um, he still, he has the first banjo that he made still. Oh, and he's cool. created, you know, hundreds of banjos since then, but um, makes them all out of their, their workshop where they live in, in, in Warsaw. So just incredible, incredible um, workmanship. Yeah, and how cool. So much care goes into it. I also have an open back of theirs that... Um, that I got a couple of years back and it's been so fun. I just love playing that. I love playing that so much. I play a lot, a claw hammer, um, on home at that. And, um, I actually asked them, you know, I love, I love animals. So I asked them, would you inlay my donkey into the scoop? And so they, they went ahead and they like, they, they, they made a beautiful, beautiful scoop with, uh, my donkey Ned on there so. so you have a goat and a donkey I what do. else what's what else is on uh, the those so those both of them are back in ireland and um i have our little dog here in south carolina so maybe i'll get one um you know one of him as well <laughs> eventually 
are my eyes playing tricks on me? Is the tension hoop like scalloped or something? Yeah, it is. It's also, yeah. Oh, yeah. okay. Really, that really, looks really cool. It is. Yeah, I kept super thinking fun. it was like a weird reflection. It or, is. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah, really, really fun. I um, I've had so much fun with this banjo. Um, you know, they make the bridges that they just make everything themselves, and it's um, it's it's so fun. I really loved it. What about other things that you use, like such as mm -hmm. for performing? You have yeah. like pickups or yeah, um, yeah pickup wise. Um, I've just got like a fishman in here right now. That's kind of what I've been been using for years. But um, as far as like um, on stage, I just got a Felix, which has been yeah. so fun. Um, yeah, they're very nice. It's been great for um, swapping back and forth between banjo and guitar. I do that a lot um, oh, okay. like with the foreign landers, and um, that's been so helpful because. That, I mean, the EQ control that you have on them is just incredible. Mm -hmm. But um, also just the ability to... Um, they're, they're just so durable as well. I, I just love that about them. Um, they've really, you know, traveled a lot and, and they're working so well. So, Hanging yeah, in there. I really yeah. love them. And as far as, like, everything else, it's a banjo-lit armrest. Um, they're also made over in Europe. And uh, then, you know, I've been using these to get finger picks because they're... They're small enough to fit my little fingers. <laughs> what type of finger picks? Yates finger picks. Yates. Yeah. Okay. Got mm -hmm. it. So um, that's been incredible, actually. Like, shout out to um, Gabe Hirschfeld for recommending these to me because okay. he had been on the hunt for some really small, little, tiny, like kid size national, you know, finger picks, and um, he he said to me, you know, I think you just need to like get some Yates because they're they're smaller you know they make them smaller and so, it was, so i ordered them and, i didn't realize that yeah That's cool. and it's really cool so you know kristen scott benson uses them and um some other folks with you know smaller smaller fingers so okay. that's been really been really good yeah good to know yeah so if people want to find you on the internet or find your bands where what do they do to yeah come see a show or buy some music yeah so um at the minute i'm touring with um the foreign landers and couple joe um over here in the states and you can go to each of their websites um, online and uh i've got my own website as well so um any of those places is great and um we'll be traveling around um for a little while uh over the states and all right excellent well thank you so much for your time yeah thanks keith Thanks for tuning in, folks. That's going to do it for that interview and this episode of the Picky Fingers Banjo Podcast. You heard a few sound clips in this episode, and in order they were Hard Life by Cupo Joe, Every Time You Say Goodbye by Allison Krauss in Union Station, Wind in the Wheat by the Kruger Brothers, Pretty Little Girl by Sammy Sheeler, Scottish by Leon Hunt, and finally Queen of Broken Hearts by Midnight Sky Racer. Thanks once again to today's VIP supporter of the show, that's Leon Lobos. Head over to patreon.com slash banjo podcast to become a VIP supporter yourself or contact the show at pickyfingersbanjopodcast at gmail.com. Thank you so much for tuning in, folks. I will see you all next time.
animal thing was a little weird. I didn't intend to go down that avenue. 